You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Man, I'm excited to be here with you guys. I'm excited to hang out with John and be a part of this ministry for sure. But I'm also excited because my daughter who lives in Waco is going to school in Waco just recently started attending here. And she's, I think she's going to the membership class tonight. Is that right, Libby? You going that? If not, like everybody knows it now, you should probably go. And uh, since she's like in the process of getting connected and joining here, I wanted you to know who she was. So I got, I I wanted you like, I can't just point her out and everybody see her. So I brought a picture so you can see what she looks like. (laughs) Okay, that's not that's not how we dropped her off in Waco, obviously. But uh, the next picture is how she looks today. And um, if you're a college guy here today, I just want you to know, I remember her in the first picture. You understand? You're laughing. I'm just being serious. So, uh, she, uh, I'm glad I could embarrass you a little bit. So she said, or John actually told me that around here I'm just Libby's dad. And that's totally fine with me. You, don't, you guys don't know me and we're just getting to know each other. One thing that you probably should know right up front is that I'm kind of a word nerd. I was an English major. I, I chose that on purpose when I was in college. And I'm, I'm kind of always interested in words. And I don't know if you know this, but the English language is always changing. The English language, and I don't know if I can say this in church or not, but it's always evolving. Okay. Can you say that in church? I'm not sure. The English language is always evolving in the sense that new words are always being added to the dictionary. The, the people that control the dictionary, and I don't know who those people are, but apparently they kind of control the whole English language. That's some power. They decide every year, hey, here's some new words that have started being used that we need to add into the dictionary. And these, these can be pretty interesting. There's a lot of generations in the room, and some of this younger generation, some of the words that you're giving us, um, really, really interesting seeing what, what's happening with the English language. I want to share just a few of these words that... Here's what I'm telling you guys. Listen, this is not slang. These are words that are officially part of the English language now. They're in the dictionary. All right, so check out this first word. That looks like we've discovered a new element. (laughs) Put it in the periodic table. But I don't know anything about science. And so that's not what this is. This is the word, am I right? (laughs) Just like that. That's the spelling, and it's now in our dictionary. So I said a while ago, the English language is always changing, but it's not necessarily getting better. Am I right? (laughs) It's not. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this next word. It's a new word. It's the word sharent. You don't sound very familiar with this. This is a word to describe a parent who shares too many pictures of their kids on social media. (laughs) And you didn't know what a sharent was, but you know a sharent, don't you? We were talking back before the first service about how many generations are represented in this room, which is such a really cool thing to watch and, and to kind of stand up here and see. I don't know which of your generations is responsible for this next word making it, but this is the word. Awesome sauce. <laughs> if your generation's taking credit, way to go. You got it. It's finally in the dictionary. It's a real word now. Use it all you want. Um, At your own discretion, I guess, or risk. There are other words that, they're not new words, but they take on new meanings over time. 
And so they'll add another line. Here's another definition, definition number three or whatever. And here's a word, this word cloud, it's taken on a new meaning recently. See, when I was a kid, if you told me that all the pictures were in the cloud, I would say, yes, there's a rhinoceros. There's a Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and a teddy bear. Like, that's what that meant. But now it means something totally different. We're storing all of our pictures in the cloud. I don't know where that is. I don't know what that's doing, but that's where they are. It's taking on a new meaning. And then you have this last word. It's not really taking on a new meaning, but it's the word follow. And what I'm watching in our culture is that this word follow, its meaning seems to be um, diminishing a little bit. The way we use the word follow, just, it's just so different now. Oh, yeah, yeah, I follow that. I follow that person on Twitter. Or I follow them on social media, on Instagram, I follow them. Or I have a certain amount of followers, a couple hundred followers on this account. I've unfollowed some people last week. They needed unfollowing, and that's what I did. Like, so we just have a different way of seeing this word follow, and it's, it's like it's losing meaning. It doesn't mean that much anymore to follow someone because of all these different kinds of things. And that's concerning to me because here's what Jesus calls us to do. He calls us to follow him. The call that he extended over and over when he was here doing ministry and doing life, like he's saying, hey, come and follow me. And it meant a lot. It's so much bigger than just liking some of the things that he said. Oh, man, that was good. I'm going to like that. I'm going to share that as a quote. It's so, so different than just scrolling through some of the things that we know about him. It's so much bigger than just, I, yeah, I know some facts about this Jesus that I follow. When Jesus says follow him, it means changing the trajectory of our lives. It changes everything. It changes how we see the world, how we understand the world, how we understand how we fit into the world, what our purpose is in the world, how we interact with people, our mission, everything, our purpose. All of it changes when we really understand that he's calling us to follow him. And so I want to look at that today. I want us to look in a, a, a familiar story for many of you. It's found in Luke chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 5. And it's one of the stories where Jesus calls some people to follow him, some disciples to follow him. There's so much in this great story that I think that can help us as we really kind of drill down in this idea of what does it look like and what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? So Luke chapter 5, Jesus doesn't just, in this version, Luke's version of the story, he doesn't just call these, hey, come follow me. He, he has this whole scene that he acts out that's so amazing. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. If that's confusing to you, it's just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the net. So let's, let's just stop right here and make sure we have the scene. Jesus is teaching. It's early in his ministry. Crowds are gathering. This guy taught so differently, taught as one with authority, not like the teachers of the law. So crowds kept gathering to hear his teaching. They kept coming because they wanted to hear his teaching. And so he was teaching by the Sea of Galilee one day, and the crowds kept pressing in. He saw the fishermen were done with their boats for the night. After the night's fishing, they were done, and they were just in the boats kind of mending the nets over on the side. And so he got in one of the boats. They put out 
a little bit out in the water. Jesus sits down in the boat, natural amplification. All the crowd can gather around and he teaches them. He finishes teaching, dismisses the crowd. And he's sitting in a boat and he looks at Simon Peter. And he basically says, hey, let's go fishing. I'm in a boat. I just finished my work for the day. Let's, let's throw out the nets. I kind of like that. It's like, Jesus wants to go fishing. I love that. Simon's answer is so interesting to me. Because when he looks at him and he says, Master, if you look at verse 5, Master, hey, we toiled, we fished all night and we took nothing or we caught nothing. <laughs> Have you ever thought about how many times the disciples who were fishermen said that in our Bibles? <laughs> were they even any good at fishing? <laughs> I mean, Jesus like, come, leave your nets. Like, oh, those nets? Yeah, those don't work. So that's fine. Let's go, right? They say this all the time. We were out fishing, we caught nothing. And that's exactly what he says here. But there seems to be more behind what he says than just we were just out there and caught nothing. It seems like he's saying, hey, this is really not a good time to go fishing. And we know Simon, we know that he was first to speak, first to do things. We know that he put his foot in his mouth a lot of times. So we can kind of read into what he's saying. And it almost looks like Simon is looking at Jesus and going, yeah, I've heard about you. you man, you got a crowd. You're a pretty good teacher. I think you got a carpentry background from what I've heard. I bet you know a lot about woodworking, but I'm a fisherman. And this is a horrible time to go fishing. In that day and time, like that season of the year, it would be best to fish all night. Because they're not throwing lures, they're throwing cast nets. And as they cast these nets out, they're hoping to find the fish close to the surface, easily you know, located. That, that's what they're doing. And they were out in the best time to fish all night in that season, and they didn't catch anything. And so he's looking at Jesus going, you want to go fishing? We were just out there. We didn't catch anything. This is a horrible time to go fishing. This is not the right time to go fishing. We need to rest, fix our nets, and we'll go out again tonight. But this is not a good idea. It's almost like he's saying, you need to to understand that I know fishing, and this is not a good time. But Jesus is setting him up. Like Jesus knows what all is happening here. And what Jesus seems to be saying to Simon is, hey, would you... Would you trust that maybe I know more about fishing than fishermen? That's, that, that, that's what Jesus is trying to teach him. I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. That followers of Jesus, here's the deal, they trust him with everything. Followers of Jesus trust him with every single area of their lives. That's what Jesus calls us to. And that's so important for us to hear because we tend to compartmentalize our lives. We tend to think of Jesus as my spiritual advisor sometimes. Like I I look to Jesus for things in the spiritual realm. That's where I look to Jesus. But then we have other areas of our life that we've kind of fenced off in a compartment over here. This is where I'm at work. And this is who I am when I'm a student. And this is who I am in my relationships. And this is how I do this and how I spend my time. We have all these different areas. And it's almost like sometimes we forget that Jesus wants to speak into every single area of our life. That he has something to say about all these other areas. And it's almost like we're trying to keep him out. Like we don't trust him with those areas. But Jesus' call to follow him is to trust him with everything. He's looking at Simon Peter. He's like, yeah, you're a fisherman. I created the fish. I made the lake. It's all mine. I know where the fish are. I promise you. I've got them right there waiting for you. Like he knows more about fishing than fishermen. He knows more about whatever it is that you and I are doing than we do. 
And the call to follow him is the call to follow him by trusting him with every area of our life. The sooner you figure this out, the better your life will go. And I'm not talking about like free from problems or anything. I'm just talking about purpose and meaning and satisfaction and joy. The sooner you figure out that you can trust him with every area of your life, the better it will be for you. That we, that we are called to follow him and it should impact how we go to work. It, it should show up in our relationships. It should show up if you're a student. It should show up in how you approach your studies and how diligent you are and how honest you are and all those things. It should show up that we're followers of Jesus should show up in every area of our life. Every relationship that you have, you can say, I can look to Jesus and what he would have to say, what his word has to say about how I approach this relationship. Jesus should show up in our marriages. He should show up in how we parent our kids in every single area of our life. He should show up in how we spend our time. That we should look to him first and foremost for all the guidance about how we're going to use our time, how we're going to maximize our time, what we're going to do with any free time that we have, how we're going to spend it. And speaking of spending, it should show up in how we spend our money. He has given us whatever we have and we're stewards of it. And so we look to him first and foremost. The, The sooner you figure that out, the sooner you get that, the more life will begin to make sense and really your purpose will be found is that you can trust him with everything. Every area of your life. He has something to say about that. And so here's a question for you. Is there an area of your life where you've kept him out? Is there an area of your life where you said, I'm just not sure I can trust him with this? Because you know if he comes in, he's going to change some things. And you're not sure if you can really trust him with it. And so you've tried to keep him out. I'm just... I need to call the shots over here. I know what's going on over here. This is my career path. This is my plan. This is my relationship. And so we try to keep him out. And Jesus is saying, no, follow me means trust me with everything. Now, I love Simon's answer here. Because he says, hey, we were just out there and we didn't catch anything. This is not a good time to go fishing. He says, but you know what? At your word, I'll let down the nets. I hear him saying this. This is not, this is probably not going to work. But we'll do it anyway. And that should be good news for every single one of us today. Because sometimes what faith looks like is you to go, I don't know if I can really trust God with this, but I'm going to trust him anyway. I don't, I don't know. If I let God into this area of my life, if I follow Jesus in this area of my life, I'm not sure how that's going to work out. It feels really uncertain. It feels like maybe this isn't. And then we trust him anyway and God meets us there. He, he loves those steps of faith, even if they're little, even if they're, they seem on our side like insignificant. He's cheering. He's shouting like, yes, that's exactly it. You don't feel like it's going to work. You trust me anyway. That's faith. So he calls us to trust him with everything. And so he calls Simon and Simon says, okay, I don't think this will work. But let's try it anyway. Let's throw the nets out. Look at verse six. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners, James and John, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Do you get that? The professional fishermen are astonished. They've never seen anything like this. These guys who fish for a living, this is not a hobby. This is something they do to provide for their family. 
they're astonished at how many fish they just caught. They got two boats. They fill the boats. The boats are sinking. They can't even get the fish into the shore. Have you guys seen this on The Chosen, that episode? It's amazing just watching that, thinking how that could have looked. They're astonished at this. And in this moment, when the fish are sinking the boats, Simon Peter, who sometimes gets it wrong, he gets it exactly right here. Because he looks and this whole scene's developing. The fish are sinking the boats and he looks to Jesus and he goes, oh, you did this. And it says that he went over and he fell down at Jesus' knees because Jesus is sitting at the boat. So I'm like, yeah, this fish, let's go. Get him in, come on, fire it up. And he falls down at Jesus' knees. And it's this picture of worship, but even bigger than that, it's a picture of awe. He's in awe of Jesus in that moment. He's overwhelmed by the power that he, like, we were just out here all night. We caught nothing. He said, throw the nets out, and now we can't even bring them in. He's in awe of Jesus in that moment. And listen, guys, followers of Jesus are in awe of him. Followers of Jesus are in awe of who he is and what he has done. And when we're in awe of him, we'll follow him. The way he's talking about and all these things, trusting him with everything. When we're in awe of Jesus, we'll follow him. And I say that with certainty because the opposite. When we're not in awe of him, we don't follow him. When you and I forget how great he is and we're not focused on that and we're not in awe of Jesus, what we end up doing is we find something else to be in awe of. And we start thinking that here's this other thing. And if I have that, that's where I'll find my satisfaction. That's where I really need to find purpose. That's what will give me meaning. That's what will make me happy and joyful if I have this. And it's not Jesus because we become in awe of something less than him. And we begin to pursue that. So much of the problems that we endure, so many of the problems that we face are because we wander away from our sense of awe of who Jesus is, who he is, what he's done, and we think something else will satisfy us. It's always a dead end, but we do it all the time. All the time, we're pursuing something else instead of him. And when we're not in awe of him, we will wander away and we won't follow him. But when we're in awe of him, man, we'll do anything. We'll go wherever so here's the good news in this. You don't have to go to the lake today and wait for him to show up and put the fish in the boat. You, you and I don't need a miracle. You don't, Jesus doesn't have to show up and do some amazing miracle in front of us for us to be in awe of him. Because our awe, our sense of awe, it comes from the gospel. That, that's all you need is the gospel story. The gospel is a word that means good news. And it's the good news of what Jesus has come to accomplish. What he did for us. That we were, because of our sin and our rebellion, we were separated from a holy God forever. We were without God and without hope in this world. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were cut off. We were alienated. The Bible says that because we sinned against God, we were his enemies. But God, because of his love, because of his mercy, because of his grace, because of his kindness, he pursues us. He's sends his son, Jesus, God in the flesh, comes and lives on this earth, a perfect, sinless life, and then he goes to a cross to die in our place. He takes our place on the cross. He takes the punishment that you and I should have had to take. He pays the penalty for sin that you and I should have had to pay, but we couldn't pay it. 
And he does that. He conquers that. He goes to the grave. He's buried. And then he comes out of that grave showing that he has won a victory over sin and death on our behalf. A victory we could have never won, even hoped to have won on our own. That's the gospel. Jesus did that. We had no hope. He gave us hope. We had no way back to God. He made a way where there was no way. The gospel is where we find our sense of awe. And when we're in awe of him, we'll follow him. That's why you gather on Sundays. That's why you gather with God's people. You you gather because we need to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done. I need to be reminded at least every seven days. At least. We gather with God's people and we sing these songs because we're remembering he's an awesome God. He's so generous. He's so selfless. He's so holy. Look at what he's done. All hail King Jesus. Like look at this awesome God. And when we gather together and we're standing in here and we're singing, we're looking around at other people. We're going, yes, this is the one. He's worth it. He's better than everything else. And we need that because all week long, somebody's lying to you. All week long, somebody's telling you that something else is better than him. In our culture, in our world, in Waco, Texas, somebody around here, some part of the culture is saying, no, no, you don't need him. You need something else. And all week long, you're being lied to and being tempted to walk away and to forget how awesome he is. And, all, and you come back here as his people and you gather and you sing these songs and you go, yeah, I'd rather have him than anything else. I'd rather have Jesus. So we need that. We need that awe of the gospel. So you don't ever move away from the gospel. You just go deeper in your understanding of the gospel. That's what we do. You open his word in your house, in your apartment, in your, wherever you live. Like You open it and see who he is and what he's done. And it reminds you of how awesome he is. And it pulls you to follow him. And we got to figure out how to do that all the time. To gather with his people. To be in his word. To remember the awe of the gospel. And I don't know, I don't know how you do that. I don't know exactly what, what works for you. But you gotta, you got to figure out those different things. Those disciplines. But one interesting way that that works for me. Is when I stop and think about the gospel. And what God has done for us in Jesus. And then I compare it to how I would have done if I was God. You ever stop to think about that? I'm just telling you, if I was God and y'all had sinned against me, y'all are in trouble. And the chances are, if you were God, you'd probably do it the same way as me, right? You guys are from Texas. You're from the Republic. That's not how we do things here. When someone gets us, we get them back. That, That is our code, I think. It's a code that my dad taught me when I was five years old. My dad was the head basketball coach in Angleton, Texas, home of the Wildcats, purple and white, five, five, five. And his best friend was football coach. And our families got together all the time. And the football coach had a son who was three years older than me. His name was Kent. And so Kent and I were forced into a friendship. And that friendship played out like this. Kent would pick on me. He would hurt me. And I would cry. And then the parents would intervene. That's how it happened every time. Doesn't happen that way anymore. Okay. So I was five. He'd pick on me. He would do something to hurt me. I would cry. Parents have to intervene. Pretty good thing. We were driving up to their house one day for another day of torture. And we stopped the car in the driveway. And my dad looked at me and he said, Lance, I'm tired of Kent Kent picking on you. So today if he picks on you and you cry and you don't hit him in the nose... 
When we get home, I'm giving you a whooping. Parenting was different back then, okay? It's different rules. He said, I'm serious, Lance. If you let him pick on you and you don't hit him in the nose, if all you do is cry, you don't hit him in the nose, I'm going to give you a whooping. It'll be worse than anything Kent could do to you. I promise you that. So he had my attention. And I don't really remember this story as much as my dad has told me this story so many times I feel like I remember it. But I bet you I was thinking in that moment, oh great, I'm going to get whooped twice today. That's awesome. (laughs) He was serious, like, no, you you punch him in the nose. Don't Don't you cry. You punch him in the nose if he starts picking on you. I'm like, okay. So we get out of the car, we walk up the door, ring the doorbell, we go inside. Kent's dad and my dad are talking. Kent was in his room. He heard that we were here, so he comes out, running into the living room. He's like, hey, Lance, what's up? And I looked at my dad, and I hit him right in the nose. I got him too, y'all. I mean, he fell down on the ground and started crying. And a voice inside my head said, finish him. (laughs) And I went down and my dad grabbed me and started yelling at me. He's like, not now. (laughs) You're not supposed to punch him right now. And Kent's dad started yelling at my dad. What do you mean not now? Did you tell him to hit Kent? My dad was like, well, yeah, but not right now. I, I do not remember us ever hanging out with that family again after that. I think I ended their friendship. I don't care, because I won. Like, that's how we end them. My dad was teaching me a lesson that some of you probably have been taught in maybe a different way. But we think that way, don't we? Think, hey, if someone gets you, you get them back. You don't, you don't tell you, turn the other cheek, that was something for the first century. We don't think that way. We think, hey, they're going to be my enemy. I'm going to get them. I'm going to get revenge. And that story, as weird as it is, helps me remember that the gospel tells us God doesn't do it that way. It's awesome. He's a holy God and we rebelled against him. We became his enemies. Romans 5 makes that really, really clear. We declared war against God. Said, I don't need you, God, and walked away from him. And we're his enemies and God could destroy us because of that. And God doesn't seek revenge. He seeks a relationship. He pursues us. He gives us his only son out of his love for us. He punishes his son instead of us because God is pursuing us. And the more you understand that, the more you remind yourself of that, the more you sing that truth of the awesome gospel story, who Jesus is and what he's done, the more awe you will have and the more you want to follow him. So we got to figure that out. When we're in awe of him, we'll follow him. The followers of Jesus are in awe of him, but... If you're following this story, you know that that's not what Simon Peter really said. If you go back to verse 8, Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees, so he's got the awe. But then he said, hey, depart from me from a sinful man. Because in that moment, I think he was in awe of Jesus' power, and then he immediately recognized that he didn't measure up. Well, I would would love to hang out with you, but I don't deserve that at all. I'm a sinful man. You're obviously very different from me, and I'm sinful. So you you should probably go a different way. You should probably leave me alone. I do not fit. 
And the followers of Jesus are in awe of him, but the followers of Jesus recognize their need for him too. Followers of Jesus come to this place where they, they recognize Jesus, who he is, what he's done, this gospel, it's amazing, and I didn't deserve any of that. I couldn't earn any of that. I didn't have it on my own. I don't have this figured out. I couldn't do it. When you recognize your need for him and you confess that need for him and that sense of all, all that comes together, Jesus doesn't turn you away. He says, come on. He doesn't push this away. Yeah, you're right. You don't. No, he says, no, that's, that's where I want you to be. I want you to be in that place where you're in awe of me and humbled, recognizing your need. Now come follow me. Look at what he says. The end of verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, hey, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Peter recognizes his need. He recognizes he doesn't measure up, doesn't earn this, doesn't deserve this, but he's in awe of him. And Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. I've got a spot for you. Don't be afraid. Come follow me. Don't be afraid. Come follow me. And I'm going to give you a purpose and a mission beyond anything you've ever even imagined. You're going to be a fisher of men now. So come on in. Jesus doesn't send him away. He welcomes us in. When we're in awe of him and we recognize our need, Jesus is welcoming us into his family on the team with a mission. Verse 11. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. May may we be a church that sees the greatness of Jesus. We're in awe of who he is and what he's done. We recognize our desperate need for him. And then we will follow him in every area of our lives, trusting him with every little detail of our lives. There may be a door you need to open today and say, Jesus, come on in. Take control. Maybe a place you need to re-surrender today. And then we will follow him no matter what it costs. Because he, and only he, is worth it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth that is in your word. I'm in awe that you would even invite us in. Not one of us measures up. Not one of us deserves this. But God, you love us so much. You sent Jesus to make a way where there was no way. God, help us to be a people who respond to who you are and what you've done by following you, trusting you with every area of our lives. And God, I pray that as we do that, you will be glorified. You will get all the glory as we find our joy and our purpose and our meaning in following you. God, we're so thankful for that. We're thankful for this gospel. We're thankful for what you've done. And as we proclaim, Jesus, that you paid it all, would you draw us in really, really close and remind us that you are worth everything. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.